0: Well, we're finally going to be ending the Gospel of Luke today. We're going to be doing a combination of chapters 23 and 24, what I like to refer to as the Holy of Holies of the New Testament, the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. And, you know, we we have this saying in regards to the end of life. There's many sayings, but one of the sayings that we've used and looked at is, is when the curtain falls. And, you know, we could use that in the term of showbiz. But when the curtain falls, that's a term that we've used when, when the show is over. But, see, the curtain fell, but the Lord had the greatest curtain call ever, which means he came back. <laughs> he came back on stage. He came back to to show exactly who he was and what he was set to do. And, and so we, we look at this, you know, we look at these things. and And when we feel... When we feel like our time is up, and and when we feel that we are, that that it's over, you know, when we go to a funeral or so on and so forth, we stand near a casket, and we think of it as the end. It could be next to a casket of a close friend or a loved one, someone we knew and trusted, you know, but see, Christ Jesus was trusted for salvation, and the fact that we will one day enjoy that His presence and our presence with one another in a far better place than that of heaven. And we look at this, this curtain falling on life, you know, we look at it that as a dark thing at times. But you see, those of us who know Christ will get, once again, we'll get a curtain call in heaven. And that curtain call will be once and for all. The, the, this life was just a rehearsal, okay? The the real drama begins, the real story begins in our eternity. But see, while we're here, while we're here, we must be doing right with, with the time we've got. So I'm excited again, once again, to be going into where we're going to be going next, and uh, I guess I'll, that'll be a surprise. <laughs> but uh, again, the Word of God... It should never be should never be looked at as boring. It should never be looked at as as uh, anything other than just again in a form of excitement. Of what is it that the Lord has in store? What is it that the Lord did? What is it that He wants from me? Even of the way of the days past, you know that that may not seem to, to pertain to us. Everything pertains to us if we call ourselves a believer. You know, but we must look at the Word of God. With with this form of, with passion, with with excitement. And and so wherever we do go next, I pray that we will see that. But, you know, we're going to make the most out of uh, chapters 23 and 24 because, again, the Holy of Holies was said. We looked at the last chapter we were in, you know, Jesus was arrested in the garden. Judas Iscariot had betrayed him. And Judas was arrested. Peter had denied him three times. Everything that the Lord said was going to happen did happen. And so we're going to see the continual things of what happened and what's to happen again. But again, the Lord is just perfect. The Lord is amazing. And to the very end, right to the very end, he showed us who he was. And let's go ahead. and let's. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, we're going to be starting at. And so, at this point, you know Jesus. At this point, had been mocked. He'd, he'd been beaten by some soldiers. They they put a they put like a cloth over his head so he couldn't see, and they would take turns hitting him in the face, telling them to telling him to prophesy who it was that hit you. They were mocking him. They were pulling his beard out. They were beating him up. You know, right before the uh, right before the major. Right before the major flogging happened to him, thirty-nine lashes. Thirty-nine lashes on a whip that was about two to three feet in length. It had three leather prongs on it, and on the end of these of these prongs the, of the leather straps, they had like little lead balls on them. They had broken glass and shards of teeth. To where this whip was designed, when when whipped at close proximity, it was designed to wrap around the side and back, and then it would and then it would rip your skin. And according to other you know church historians and so on and so forth that recorded floggings and crucifixions, not normally, most people didn't survive a full flogging. Most people didn't survive the the, the thirty nine lashes that that our Lord did I'd like to think that you know, perhaps somebody probably admitted to doing something so that way they didn't have to take anymore because what they would do is they would use it as an interrogation and they would ask you the question of whatever crime you had committed and they would whip you if you said nothing or if they thought you were lying and then each time when they had to ask the whip got harder and harder and harder so you can only imagine You'd only imagine the gruesome picture that happened right there where the Lord was being on public display of of the ultimate torture. Well, keep in mind who he did it for. Who did he do it for? Well, look in the mirror. Look around you and look all around you in this world. He did it for every single living person. So let's take a look here. On some of the details of what happened in Luke chapter 23, I'm going to uh, go over one through five real quick. Said, then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, "We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king." And then Pilate asked him, saying, "Are you the king of the Jews?" And he answered him and said, "It is as you say." So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were more they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now, in the beginning of the Lord's flogging, he had to face some officials. We see two names. We see uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate. Uh, Herod overseen the Jews, where Pilate was a Roman governor. And the people made false accusations about Jesus, acting as if he was a leader of a rebellion endorsing not to pay Caesar. Well, that was a blatant lie because we see where Jesus himself said said to give to God what is God's and to give to Caesar what is Caesar's in the, in the previous gospel of Luke and the others. Well, after questioning the Lord, Pilate said, I don't find fault in him anywhere so since Herod's in town, let me pass him off on Herod and he could be the decision maker. So in verses 6 through 25 it stated that Herod Herod was pleased to finally meet the Lord in person. You know, Herod had been wanting to see Jesus actually. He'd heard all the stories about him because of the reputation that he had received over the years. The miracles, the healings, but it, you know, it never happened. They never got to meet. It took this event in order for him to meet Jesus, this carpenter from the town of of Nazareth. A, a man with a wonderful reputation coming from a town with a horrible reputation. And Pilate had the power politically, but not in popularity, as a known criminal called Barabbas had the crowd demanded to be released from, from uh, his due punishment. So, you know, that's what happened here is that we had two people on trial here. You had Jesus Innocent and you had this guy named Barabbas who was this horrible criminal being asked, who do you want to release? And the crowd was wanting Barabbas. So, by the pressure of the crowd, he released him. So, I guess we could almost nickname him Peer Pressure Pilot. <laughs> Pilot was there, see, Pilot was there to uphold the laws. In that he tried, and even Herod uh, tried to as well, but see, mob rules came into play. And I've said for some time, and I say this because of firsthand witnessing, that there is power and, and there is problems in popularity. The power in it is, is, is if someone obtains popularity, they can do or say anything they want and practically get away with it. The problem is it's not right and God sees it and at times allows popularity to go away when you anger someone. When you make someone mad, they'll spit on the ground and walk away from you and tell you what they really thought of you. And, and that was part of the problem. But, but beyond that even, you see, days before this event, the people were praising Jesus. When he rolled into town on Good Friday, they were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us now, right? Because they looked at Jesus as the one who was going to eliminate the Roman oppression from the Jewish people. But now they're all saying, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas who, who murdered and committed other crimes. And Pilate did what they wanted. See, it, it comes down to the old proverbial speech that we've heard in the past. It wasn't anything personal, it was strictly professional. Now, being a career politician, he knew the stakes were high. He, he actually feared causing a riot or even losing his position of power if the Jews revolted. But there was nothing professional about what he did either because he he knew the Lord was innocent and probably seen him as a political threat over that of an innocent person who had rights. He was tried six times. Tried six times by Roman Roman and Jewish authorities and, and they could not find fault in him in any part of his life. The reason he was sent to die for us had to be a once and for all sacrifice without blemish and many have said, why would he have died if he did no wrong? That was the question by many people who, who don't want to believe in the crucifixion. That doesn't make sense. Why would he have to die if he's done no wrong? I can't believe this. But yet we're saying what's wrong with everyone, right? What's wrong with everyone? That they, that they would do what they did. That's what it should be saying. What's wrong with everyone that they did, did what they did? But in the majority of the mobs of evil, we hear critiquing over the things done right versus the things of the people and that of the officials that we're reading about. It's just kind of, again, that mob mentality. Let's take a look here at what happens in verses 26 through 32. And these are from the words of Christ. And now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say, The mountains fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? And there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary... There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God." The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written uh, over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. I love the Lord. You know, uh, always concerned about others over that of what he went through. Imagine being there to witness this event after Jesus healed you or your child, he, you know, maybe you were there to, uh, if he raised someone you loved from the dead, which he did, and, and many other things that he did for people. As they're watching him carry the cross after being beaten beyond recognition, see, he gave them, he gave them insight of what was to come some years later. Do not cry for me, because far worse is coming to Jerusalem as it did. And then he said in verses thirty-four through thirty-eight, which I will read real quick. Then he said that, Father, do forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his lots and garments, and the people stood and watched, okay? And so, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. They do as he did what he set out to do. He did what they said what it was set out to do. What looked like a defeat to the soldiers and to the crowds mocking him was the complete opposite. It was a victory. They, yeah, they tore his clothes, but in, in their eyes, tearing a king's garment off of him in public was a sign that he lost his kingdom forever, being stripped of all power. And then they cast lots for his garments, which was fulfilling of prophecy in Psalm 22. What they seen was defeat when it was Christ defeating sin and the devil's earthly power. There was at least one near him who recognized that in verse 39 through 43, which I'm going to read that, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise, Jesus said. It's one of my favorite sections in the Bible. And the reason being is that man, that man on the cross next to him was just like me. One, one who deserved what he got, yet... Just like the man on the cross, I simply asked the Lord if he would have me as one of his own. And he reminded me that he signed my adoption papers 2,000 years ago with his own blood. Praise be to him. And after that, that show of love and acceptance, he spoke one last time in verse 46 in a loud voice. He cried, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And in John's gospel he was an eyewitness uh, standing at the foot of the cross and, and it said that he yelled out he yelled out his last words it is finished. And then the centurion this Roman soldier standing at the cross said to himself out loud certainly this was a righteous man. You know as, as he was none, as he was none more on earth were as righteous to be exact it was after he died they noticed in the temple the veil separating the outer room to the Holy of Holies, which was torn in half. And, and it was the place where, the, uh, where only the priest would go once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And when they seen that, they were more concerned about that than anything. Because if the priest wasn't right with God, before going into the Holy of Holies, the priest would actually drop dead. If the, if the priest didn't make atonement for his sins. And and so they flipped out about it. The presence of God is so holy that, that any form of uncleanliness in the priest could not withstand the presence of God. And, and what that showed was the death of Christ eliminated that barrier between man and God, allowing you and I to come freely to God anytime without the one time a year atonement. And more importantly, wondering what would happen to you when, when the priest died from being defiled himself. Well, how am I going to get my sins atoned for now that the priest is dead, right? Christ the Advocate, without blemish. The, you know, the priest had to receive atonement for themselves before going in. Not Christ though, he eliminated the fear, yet they did not see it. And now the best part of all this is coming, is coming. We are going to be uh, seeing the comeback of all comebacks as now we observe chapter 24 here of of Luke. And let's take a look here. The comeback of all comebacks in verse 1 through 8. It says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in, in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. So the third day has come, and, and it, it was the uh, this was actually the devout follower of Christ, Mary Magdalene, who came early in the morning, as it was still dark, possibly probably maybe somewhere between five or six in the morning. She came to bring spices to the tomb, as, as we today we like to some people like to bring flowers to uh, to show their love and respect by uh, bringing flowers or so on and so forth to a gravesite. But to her surprise, the stone, okay, to the tomb, which was a big, heavy, round stone, was rolled away. And it was empty. And she, of course, was distressed. But, you know, leave it to God to send someone. In fact, it was one of his messengers of angels to remind her that there were what they were seeing is just the accurate words of Christ. The tomb was temporary. You know, yeah, the tomb was borrowed, but it'll be given back to its rightful owner who is going to need it one day in the gospel of john jesus appeared to mary and she made, and she actually mistaken him as the gardener <laughs> and and then as as he spoke to her she then knew it was him and she had the honor of the first witness of his return see luke made known that in verses 13 through 27 that two of the disciples were walking together uh after this they were walking together uh to a village named Emmaus, talking to each other in sadness of the crucifixion. And Jesus shows up and walking with them out of nowhere. And, and they did not know it was him. And he was asking, why are you guys so sad? What are you talking about? You know, they, they made known what had happened, that the tomb was empty. The Lord has departed. Well, let's read verses 25 through 26 to see what the Lord tells them. You got to love this. It says, "And and... And uh, certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just the woman and said but him that they did not see him. And then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe and all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things uh, and, and enter into his glory? So, after the two disciples explained their sadness... And, and confusion. You know, Jesus responds to the scriptures that applied to his ministry into this day. He does the same thing. He comes alongside us when we're walking in confusion and dismay. And, and he reminds us and and I myself welcome that that when uh that he would actually come from out of nowhere and walk beside me and remind me when I'm doing those things, I welcome his surprise visit. <laughs> he, he called them foolish, and the reason being was that they, they knew the biblical prophecies. The Lord himself told them what was to come. there was, uh, There was failure to recognize that the suffering of Christ was the path to glory. He hears all things, he knows all things, you know, whether it's silent uh, that we think and do not speak, and appears out of nowhere to hear it all. And, and I gotta talk about this. There was this television show called, uh, uh, perhaps you've seen it before. It's called Undercover Boss. It's where uh, a company owner, or maybe a CEO, who would actually come and work amongst the employees, and sometimes they'd be in disguise. And they would come in and, and work amongst these employees in uh, different positions. And, and they would see and hear what goes on amongst them. And some of them expose what they think of the company or the managers. Some are exposed who are, who are not good employees. And the others are known who are loyal and true. And at the end, the owner reveals who they were. And either praises the loyal employees or disciplines the disgruntled ones. The disgruntled complainers. This was a, uh, this was a favor that the Lord showed up when he did. It was a reminder, a wake-up call. If someone does not know the Bible, then we can turn to to strong and godly believers who know the Bible and have the wisdom, who are a big help to applying the wisdom to any situation. You know, praise God for His resurrection. Praise God for His return to come back, because it will give us the strength to step outside of cultural aspects and into a living faith in Christ. Jesus, uh, in the the next section, we will see why in verse 36 when he appears to them, as we look at uh, 36 through 43. And then now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, handle me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still uh, did not uh, believe, for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't blame them for being terrified as the Lord shows up amongst them out of nowhere, after witnessing what happened. But you know that's the beauty of uh, of our Lord. He he sets us straight in our fears and our doubts. His body his body was both immortal, you know, able to appear or disappear, yet still remaining the scars of proof that he was of flesh and bone back for a time. You know, he still ate He still ate like the rest of us. So he, he proved his humanity and his deity. But see, he was with them for 40 more days according to the Gospels. But Luke made known some in-depth conversations that I want to read from the Lord himself in verses 44 to 53. Check this out. It says, And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And the repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witness of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. See, the Lord the Lord fulfilled, he promised, and he kept all things for them to be referred to as something uh, very important in their discipleship and what brought them into their new titles of apostles. He said that they were witnesses, They witnessed his existence. They witnessed the teachings, the miracles, the healings, the death and resurrection, and now the ascension into his kingdom of heaven, in heaven there. Let me read the rest of it in 50 to 53. And it says, And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And so we see that he mentioned that he must fulfill all things in Scripture, the Law of Moses, the Messianic Psalms, as well as all the writings of the prophets, finding, finding throughout the whole uh, Old Testament that there was over 300 prophecies of Christ, which he fulfilled every one of. He brought them the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who, walked, who works nonstop from the time of then to now, and through him brought us to be witnesses as well. It it's said in the last verses that he was being worshiped and being worshipped continually in the temple. And though the temple was destroyed, as he predicted, he is still being worshipped in the churches. He's being worshipped in the homes and under the sky, wherever anyone is. Christ is being worshipped somewhere by someone in the millions. But there is one temple. There is one temple he desires to be inside of, which is that of you and I, our bodies, right? Our bodies are called the temple. And that is where he dwells. Where worship is is at its best at any given place at any given time. And, and through that we receive blessings beyond our imagination. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said on blessings as I will quote. He says, if he blesses you, you shall be blessed. For there is no power on heaven or earth or hell that can reverse the blessing that he gives. Eternal life with God is the greatest gift because we will dwell in heaven with him. It will dwell there for eternity in a place that surpasses any of the most beautiful places on earth. You know, if you love to travel as I do, I love to go to natural areas observing the creation of God. And then, you know, trying to fathom how the things in heaven will be beyond the glory of His creation here on earth. See, I can't do it. As the things mentioned in heaven cannot be described. But what Christ did for us was described And what he taught us was wonderfully prescribed. (laughs) We received description and then he gave us prescription. The death and resurrection of the sins of the world was the description. The believing and the receiving in the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior is the prescription. Okay, so the death and resurrection for the sins of the world was the description. But believing and receiving in him is the prescription. Prescription of preventative measures from your, you know, from your doctor is giving you what's best to keep you from something bad to come for a time. But the prescription of receiving Christ is keeping you from something bad to come for all of eternity. And we don't want to disregard the greatest physician, the greatest teacher, the greatest savior, and greatest father ever. I mean, keep in mind that a doctor might be able to help some ads or might help add some years to your life, but only Christ could add life to your years. And if you're going through the hardest times in your life or if you're having the time of your life, I, I invite you to receive him now. Because without him, everyone will share in the worst time for all of eternity. You may be doing well, successful, happy, all of your dreams have come true, but it's for a time. You may be going through trials that are unbearable and do not want to go, you do not want to go, well, I don't want to go on. Well, that's just, that's just for a time as well, right? That's what people say. I don't want to go on anymore. The trials are too unbearable. That too is just for a time. But eternity will never stop. The joy will never stop in his presence. And the question is, is, do you want that? Do you want that right now? Well, you have the opportunity to be like that guy on the cross that I mentioned earlier. One of my favorite verses. He'll do the same thing for you. If you say that simple prayer to him, will you remember me? He'll receive you. If you just want to say this simple prayer with me, Dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. Please forgive me, Lord, of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, for you to wash me clean, Lord. I thank you for dying on the cross for me, Lord. Sending your only begotten Son, Lord. And I pray that you will receive me when my time is up, Lord, as I now receive you as my Father, my Lord, and my Savior. And I ask, Lord, again, that you would walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we are done with the Gospel of Luke, I just want to remind us that he's not done with us. The the Lord is still living and active. And, And so... He's working in us. He's working through us. And I pray that we, that we can do well for Him with the time that He has given us. You know, again, I mentioned that God, that the Lord Jesus was perfect in every aspect. Here on earth, He didn't do anything wrong. The Lord never broke any laws. <laughs> the only law I could ever see Him breaking was the, breaking the law of gravity when he, when he ascended to heaven to be with, uh, with His Father in heaven there. Remember that, that we're going to be able to experience the same thing because of him. May God bless and keep you.